Why don't you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verse 36. You can still stand for the word of God, right? I got a couple of amens. Hallelujah, glory to God, hallelujah. You know, we don't go by time clocks in here, right? We let the Holy Ghost do what he wants to do. Hallelujah. It's not the Word of Faith show, it's not the Pastor Walker show, it's the Holy Ghost show. Amen. Now, what we're talking about today is still in relation to the blessing, but we want to focus on what stops the blessing. Amen. So we're going to talk about today breaking the fear connection. Breaking the what? Fear connection. Here, Mark chapter 5, verse 36, it says in the bottom part, be not afraid, only what? Be not afraid, only what? Be not afraid, only what? Believe. Now, you know, all of us at one time or life, majority of the time when we as younger Christians or baby Christians, we probably, we probably found ourselves saying, I tried the word and it didn't work. Come on, say amen, somebody. And we know our answer to that is no. The word tried you, and you didn't work. Come on, you with me out there. See, this is a plain truth, because why? God never drops the ball, folks. He never fails to keep his word. Somebody say never. Come on, say never. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, because notice what he says here in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. In the bottom portion of that verse, it says, for I will what? I will what? Hasten my word to what? To perform it. See, that's what he does. That's what he always does. Come on. He does that without fail. Come on. Say amen, somebody. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be times when we mess things up. Come on. When we slow the manifestation of what we're believing for down. Come on. Say amen, somebody. See, it means that when things quit working and the faith process seems to stall, we must learn to honestly ask ourselves, what's keeping me from receiving? What is the problem here? Come on, say amen, somebody. See, God is not holding out on you, folks. Tell your neighbor, God's not holding out on you. So if, you're, it's just, if we're not receiving and we're not enjoying the manifestation of the blessings in our lives and what the word of God says belongs to us, listen, it's got to be us. It can't be God. Let me say it again. It's got to be us. It can't be God. See, somehow or another, we have short-circuited, what? The faith or the power of faith. That's not on God. That's on who? And we've all done this at one time or another in our Christian walk. And a lot of times, we did it without even realizing it. Come on, say amen, somebody. See, a lot of times, let me give you an example. A lot of times, a lot of things I'm talking about right now, we were doing with our kids. Come on, when our kids get sick, what do we do? We rush, come on, pray for them, lay hands on them. Then after a while, after we prayed for them, laid hands on them, we go to check to see if they're doing all right. Then we go again. Then we go again. Then we go again. Now we're exercising our faith. Come on. We're laying hands on them. Come on. Now, the healing process has started. But then what we do, we take them back out of the Lord's hands. Well, the question, how do we take them back out of the Lord's hands? We get up and we go check on them again. We get up and we go check on them. In the middle of the night, we get up and go check on them one more time. Come on, say amen, somebody. See, now that would be fine. If we were doing it in faith. But we're not doing it in faith. Because why? Because we're, listen, a lot of times we're, we're going to check on because why? We're afraid that our prayer didn't work. And when we do that, what happens? We take them out of his hands. Come on, how many people have done that before? Come on, be honest. And we got to understand, understand this. 
Fear contaminates faith. Let me say it again. Fear contaminates faith. Just a little fear will mess things up. Let me say it again. Just a little fear will mess things up. So what do you do? Well, you go and pray. You lay hands on your child. But this time you say, Lord, this time I'm putting him or her back into your hands in the name of Jesus, and I'm leaving them there. Oh, come on. Now, when 2 a.m. rolls around again, because you've been doing it so often, come on, say amen, somebody, without thinking what happened, you jump out your bed, get ready to go check again. But what's going to happen this time, you'll take no more than one or two steps, and you'll come to your mind and say, oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I wrote all this care upon you. Come on, say amen, somebody. I wrote it all on you. I'm not going to meddle with this anymore. Come on, say amen, somebody. I believe I received their healing, and I'm standing on it. Come on, are you with me out there? Now, listen to me. As soon as those words come out your mouth, the devil's going to come at you. He's going to come and start pressuring you. He's going to look at you and say, or talk to you and say, what kind of parent are you? What kind of husband or wife are you? What kind of son or daughter are you? Come on, don't you see what they're doing? They're, they're, going, they're in agony in that room over there. You better go in there right now to see if they're all right. But you're going to answer, listen to me, devil. Come on, say amen, somebody. The most responsible thing that I can do as a parent, as a wife, as a husband, as a son or daughter, is to keep my loved one in God's hands. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. Why? I can't heal them. Come on, I can minister healing. I can believe and receive with them, but the power is God's. Come on, say your name, the power is God. He's the one doing the what? The healing, and I just what? Trust him. So I'm going to not, listen, so I'm not going to go in there right now. But how many people know the devil's persistent? Come on, the devil will keep badging you to go in there. He keep badging you to go in there. You better go in there. They're even out of the bed. Listen, if they're out of the bed, let the angels put them back in bed. Why? Just say, I'm not going back in there. Come on, say that. I'm not going back in there. Now, if the devil is continues to be persistent, which he will, that's when you just get mad. That's when you grab your Bible. And say, devil, I'm taking the sword of the spirit. I'm going to cut you up every which way. And then what you do is you start praying in tongues as fast as you can. As hard as you can until you get a sense of victory. And then you say, devil, get out of here. And what happened? The devil will leave you alone. Tell your neighbor, the devil will leave you alone. See, as believers... We need to exercise our God-given authority over him. Come on, say amen, somebody. And sometimes we just need to get mad enough. See, a lot of people are not mad enough, so they don't yell at him. Devil, would you please get out of my room? You ain't mad at the devil. See, you know when you're mad. You know when you're mad. When you're mad, y'all don't have any problem saying anything you want to say. Your face starts to cringe up. You get that ugly look on your face. Come on, say amen, somebody. Come on, some of you, you know, if you lighten up, your veins start popping out. <laughs> That's when you're what? That's when you're mad. But see, you got to get mad enough to drive him out of your home, to drive him out of your business. Come on, say amen, somebody. And we, just, we, need, to stop li- we need to stop listening to him and send him packing. Because why? Your loved one will be healed if you just stay in faith and out of fear. Let me say it again. Your loved one will be healed if you just what? Stay in faith and out of fear. So now we can see why the Bible commands us 110 times to fear not. Somebody say fear not. Why? Listen to me now. Because our connection to the blessing depends upon it. Let me say it again. Our connection to the blessing depends upon it. See, someone may say, 
aren't there some situations where fear is inevitable? Aren't there times when we just can't help but being afraid? Tell your neighbor, no. Tell your neighbor, no. Tell myself, somebody else, no. Why? Because as a born-again believer, we never have to be afraid. Do I have any born-again believers in here? Come on, as a born-again believer, we never have to be afraid. Listen, Jesus settled an issue in Mark chapter 5 to a man named Jairus. Somebody say Jairus. Who came seeking healing for his dying child. Now, if you're a parent, what could be more potentially more terrifying than your child dying? Oh, come on with me. Come on, you with me out here. Say neighbor, nothing. Why? Because most parents, I don't know about you, most parents would rather face death themselves than to see their child die. But look what Jairus did. Leaving his daughter at home at, on her deathbed, folks. Jairus went to find Jesus. Come on. He shoved his way in front of that crowd that had gathered on the shore of the lake to wait his arrival. And look at Mark 5.22. And it says, when he saw him, he did what? He fell at his feet. And verse 23, he says, and beside him greatly saying, my little daughter, life at the point of death, I pray thee, come and do what? Lay thy hands on her that she may be what? Healed and she shall what? And she shall what? Live. She shall what? Live. See, that was Jairus' confession of faith, folks. That's what he believed would happen. What did he do? He had placed the innocent. He had placed the inner image of his daughter falling prey to death and replaced it. Somebody say replaced it. Replaced it with the inner image of Jesus coming to his house and laying hands on his daughter. Come on, you follow him out here. What was he doing? Calling those things that be not as though they were. Now, the NIV says it this way in verse 23. It says, he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be what? Healed and what? Live. Look at verse 24. And it says, and Jesus did what? Went with him. And much people did what? Follow him and did what? Strong him. Now think about it. For a minute, everything looked as if it was going according to Jairus' faith plan. But then someone intervened. And what happened? Things started to happen that he did not envision. Come on, you with me out here. So in verse 25, it says, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew what? Worse. And when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be what? Whole. And straightway what happened? The fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was what? Healed of that plague. Now, if Jesus would have just kept walking after this happened, things might have gone differently for Jairus. But guess what? Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't stop. He turned around and he asked, who touched my clothes? Come on, say amen, somebody. Then verse 31 says, and the disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude throng a knee, and thou sayest, who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. And it says, the woman, what? Fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him. And what? Here's the key word. Told him all the truth. Now, I'm going to ask the ladies in here. Being a lady, and we know you got to get your 20,000 words out in a day. <laughs> How long do you think it took that woman to tell all the truth about her 12 long years of illness? Come on, about 
the doctor she'd been to who hadn't been able to help her as she even grew worse about all the money she spent in the process. Now, you know, ladies, be honest, you know that was a long story. <laughs> oh, y'all don't want to be honest. Okay, all right. <laughs> it probably would have cooked five days, but Jesus probably cut it short. But anyway. <laughs> But all the time she was talking, what do you think Jairus was doing? Come on. He's probably pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Why? Knowing his daughter was in a critical condition, folks. And every second mattered. Oh, come on, with me at it. Yet, to Jesus, it didn't faze him. It seemed to be, he, he didn't seem to be in no hurry at all. As a matter of fact, he actually turned around and started ministering to the lady. But look at verse 35. But while, yet, while he was yet spake, what happened? There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troubleth thou the master any further? Now think about it now. At that moment, Think about it as a parent. As that moment, Jairus heard the worst, most fear-provoking words any parent could hear. Come on, say, are you with me out there? But Jesus, listen, but Jesus didn't even give him a chance to react. Verse 36, it says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, what is that? He said about the ruler of the synagogue, what? Be not what? Afraid, only what? believe. Now in Luke's account, Luke chapter 8 verse 50, it says, but when Jesus heard it, he answered saying, fear not, believe only and she shall be made whole. Now, most people would have said the opposite to, to Jairus in the situation. Most people would have just patted him on the back and said, well, you just go ahead and cry, Jairus. I know you're frightened. Come on. I know you're sad right now. And it's perfectly understandable. Come on. Just go ahead and look, just, just, just get it all out. Come on. It's all right to express your feelings. We're here with you. We're going to be sad with you. Come on. Say amen, somebody. That would have been most people's reaction. But Jesus knew something that most people don't know, folks. He knew. Listen to me now. He knew that fear tolerated as faith contaminated. Let me say it again. He knew that what? Fear tolerated as faith contaminated. Listen, he knew it is impossible. Tell your neighbor, impossible. It is impossible to be in fear and faith at the same time. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. It is impossible, tell your neighbor, impossible, to be in fear and faith at the same time. And since the life of Jairus' daughter depends upon his faith connection to Jesus, he commanded Jairus, fear not. Somebody say, fear not. Now listen to me now. Had it been impossible for Jairus to obey that command, if he couldn't help being afraid, Jesus' command would have been untrue. It would have been unjust. Come on, are you with me out here? But it wasn't impossible for Jairus to obey that command. Even in, the high, in a high-pressure situation. And guess what, folks? It is not impossible for us either. In fact, because Jesus absolutely conquered the power of fear through his work of redemption... It's far easier for us as born-again Christians than it was for drivers to fear not. But think about it. Even without the benefit of being born again of the new earth, he was still able to conquer his fear. With Jesus by his side, he found a way to obey and refuse to fear. Come on, say amen, somebody. And as a result, what happened? We had a happy ending. Come on, tell you, tell you that we had a happy ending. Look at Mark 5, 38. 
It says, he come into the house of the house, he come into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and see the atonement and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he had came in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, but when he put them all out, because sometimes you gotta put some people out. If they if they're not standing in the green with you, it's time to put them out. Time to put auntie out. Sometimes time to put grandma out. Come on, say amen, somebody. It can go deep. <laughs> amen. So he put them all out. Say, neighbor, he put them all out. And he take up the father and the mother of the damsel and them that will hit them. And they entered into where the damsel was lying. Because why? He took some people that could believe with him. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Tell her that Kumai which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, what? Arise. And straightway the damsel did what? Arose and walked, for she was the age of 12, and they were what? Astonished with great astonishment. But folks, listen to me now. Here's why fear is such a serious business. Somebody say fear. Just as faith is the spirit connector to God and the blessing. Fear is the spirit connector to the devil and the curse. Let me say that again. Just as faith is the spirit connector to God and the blessing, fear is the spirit connector to the devil and the what? Curse. Now, we've already been throughout the Bible. Well, we see faith is what activates the operation of the blessing. Come on, have we seen that? Faith does what? Faith releases the anointing of God in people's lives. Are you following me out there? See, when Jesus ministered on the earth, he ministered and preached peace, shalom, which included what? Healing, deliverance, prosperity, and life with nothing missing, nothing broken. And see, the people who believed what he preached... And connected with him and received that peace. Guess what? They were healed. Come on, are you with me out here? They were what? They were delivered from demons. And they were filled with loaves and fishes. But those who don't believe didn't, get the, didn't make that connection. Somebody say they didn't make that connection. Now we've seen previously where the people of Nazareth, you remember that? Amen. They did not receive Jesus. And they didn't get much at all from Jesus. Come on, say amen, somebody. Now, he wanted to help them. He even laid hands on a couple of them. But guess what? He tried his best to get a little bit of a blessing on them, but they what? They rejected him. He couldn't do much for them because why? Instead of making the faith connection, they got mad at him and tried to kill him. Come on, are you with me out there? But he couldn't do much. Why? Because they were mad at him and tried to kill him. Because why? Because of their what? Their unbelief. But the question is, what made these people so angry? Look at Luke chapter 4 verse 25. See, what made them so angry is he says something about their religion. Let me say it again. He says something about their religion that frightened them. He pointed out something in the Old Testament here in Luke chapter 4 verse 25. He says here, but I tell you the truth, the many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. He's, he's pointing to the Old Testament. And when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save who? Unto Sepharta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a what? A widow. Now he told them, God didn't send the prophet to them. Instead, he sent the prophet to a Gentile woman who would respond to his word of faith. Come on, say amen, somebody. But look at verse 28. When they heard that, and all day of the synagogue, what? When they heard these things, they were what? They were what? Filled with wrath. Why? Because the idea that just being Jewish wasn't enough to, the idea of just being Jewish was not enough to assure favor with God. It created fear in them. Because they thought, just because I'm Jewish, I had favor with God. 
And when they, Jesus said, just because you're Jewish, you don't have favor of God. And guess what? That struck a fear in them. Somebody say fear. That fear separated them from Jesus, so he couldn't what? He couldn't do any mighty works among them. Are you with me out here? And most places he went, people believed what he said. And what happened? Their faith opened the door for him to do what it says in Acts 10.38. Look at that. Acts 10.38. Their faith opened the door for him to do what? It says how God did what? Anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the what? With the Holy Ghost and with what? Power. Who went about doing good, doing what? Healing all that were what? Oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Now the word oppressed is an important scriptural word. Somebody say oppressed. The Bible uses it to describe all the manifestations of the curse Satan puts on human beings. Sickness, for example, is satanic oppression. Say it again. Sickness, for example, is what? Satanic oppression. So it's poverty. Every manifestation of the curse is a form of the devil's oppression. Are you following me out here? Turn to Isaiah 54, 14. Isaiah 54, 14. Because here in Isaiah 54, 14, it shows us exactly what opens the door to oppression. What happens? What opens the what? Door to oppression. In this verse, the Spirit of God prophesying to the body of Christ about the blessing that would be ours through Jesus. He says, in righteousness shall thou be what? Be established. Thou shalt be what? Far from what? Far from what? Oppression. But then he says, for thou shalt not what? Fear. And from terror, for it shall not what? Come near thee. Notice it says, thou shalt be far from what? Oppression, for thou shalt not what? Fear. In other words, fear is the spirit connector to oppression. Say it again. Fear it's a spirit connector to what? Oppression. Fear is the connector to sickness and disease. Fear is the connector to poverty and every other manifestation of the curse. What is connector? Fear. Somebody say fear. Or you can say it this way. Fear connects to the spirit of fear just like faith connects to the spirit of faith. Why? Because the spirit of fear is the devil himself. Let me say it again. Fear, come on. The spirit of fear is who? Is the devil himself. It's the spirit that they, listen, it's the spirit the apostle, Paul, apostle John talked about in 1 John 4, 3. Turn there. When he referred to the spirit of the Antichrist. You ever heard that word before? It's the spirit that the apostle John referred to as the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. It says, And every spirit that confesseth, not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is not of what? God. And this is that what? Spirit of what? Antichrist. Spirit of what? Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already where? Is in the world. Now, to get a full impact of the word Antichrist, somebody say Antichrist, you have to realize that Christ is not Jesus' last name. And it's not his title. Come on with me. See, Christ in the Greek, it means anointing or the anointed one. Somebody say anointing or the anointed one. See, the anointing on Jesus is what? It's the power of the Holy Ghost that came on him in that river Jordan. It's the power that gave him the right to say in Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is what? Upon me, because he has what? Anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recover of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And according to Isaiah 10, 27, we know these verses. 
Isaiah 10, 27. What's it say? And it shall come to pass that in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulders and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be what? Shall be what? Destroyed because of the what? Because of what? The anointing. So we call the anointing, what we call it, we call the anointing the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. What is it? The burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. But notice, it's not the yoke breaking power of God. But it's the what? The yoke destroying power of God. The Hebrew word for destroy refers to corrosion or rust. Anybody know anything about corrosion and rust? Now, we here in the Virgin Islands, we really know what rust does to steel. What's it do? It disintegrates it. If you just leave rust alone and let it do its work, there will not be any steel left. Has anybody ever found that out? But that's what the anointing does. That's what the anointing does to the yoke of oppression, folks. It renders it unfit for Satan's use. Listen, if it was just broken, it could be mended. But the anointing doesn't just break it. The anointing explodes it into powder. Come on, are you with me out there? When the anointing comes on the scene, what happens? It leaves the devil standing naked. Are you with me? With nothing left. That's the reason he is the anti-Christ. Are you getting this? He's the what? Anti-Christ. What's he doing? He's against the anointing. Somebody tell your neighbor he's against the anointing. It's also the reason he's against you. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. Tell your neighbor we're the body of Christ. We're the body of that anointing in the earth. And just as faith in Jesus connects us to the spirit of the anointing, fear connects us to the spirit of the anti-anointing. Come on, I hope y'all get in this. Let me say it again. Just as faith in Jesus connects us to the spirit of the anointing, fear connects us to the what? The spirit of the anti-anointing. If you doubt it, think about it. Think about what happened to Job. Think about it. He spent years connected to the blessing of God. If you start reading Job, Job was a blessed man. But then suddenly, he found himself connected to the oppression of the devil. See, Job was a good man. He loved and reverenced God. But somehow... Satan found a way to put a yoke around his neck and destroy everything that he had. Matter of fact, look at Job 3.25. Job tells us in his own words how it happened. Come on. He tells us what? In his own words. What's he say here? For the thing. That's how it happened. For the thing I what? Greatly what? Feared. What did it do? It come upon me. And that which I was afraid of has come unto me. I was, look, look, verse 26, I was not in safety. Neither had I what? Rest. Neither was I what? Quiet, yet trouble came. Now, do you see what's happening here? Come on, do you see what's happening in his life? He wasn't resting in faith. He wasn't quiet. Are you with me out here? He was up every night nursing the fears about his children. He thought maybe it might help to worry about them. And he didn't realize that by worrying, he was actually opening the door to trouble. Oh, y'all with me out here? People do the same thing today. People do the same thing today. Some of you in this room. Come on. Good God-loving people try to control their children with fear. Here's a kicker, though. 
Have you ever wondered why there's a such thing as a generational curse? It's because children are raised by their parents. And the parents pass along their fears to their children. Let me say that one more time. It's because children are raised by their parents. And parents pass along their fears to their children. And see, sometimes some of our parents, I don't know about you, my parent, my mom, they have a hard time getting out of the things that were put in their head about the family from their parents and their parents and their parents. And see, when I go home, I got to constantly remind my mother. See, in the last couple of years, many of my relatives lost their lives to cancer. So because many died of cancer, she wants to say that cancer runs in our family. I don't know, anybody else mama like that sometimes? There's some, then the old ways are still just in there. Come on, say amen, somebody. So I have to constantly correct her and explain to her why people get cancer. And a lot of time it's just because they don't take care of themselves. See, we break the curse of that generational curse sickness by what? By quoting Isaiah 53, 5. But he was what? Wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are what? Healed. That's how we break the curse. Now the fact is, a lot of our family members have died from cancer. But the truth is, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. And the truth will always override the facts. So don't you accept what the devil has been putting in your minds of your family members when it comes to sickness and disease and even fear. Why? Because you're, you're responsible for breaking that generational curse, folks. Come on, you break the curse and fear not. Come on, you break the curse and fear not. Come on, say amen, somebody. But listen to me now. We're still talking about what? Fear. But this should seal the deal. Listen to me closely now, because some of you may, not be, you may not accept it because you're probably afraid of a bug this morning. <laughs> or iguana went across your path, you run and ran. Come on, say amen, somebody. You know how you are. I, I, if my church mouse came running out here right now, most of y'all be jumping on your stairs and everything. But listen to me now. Fear itself is sin. Pastor Walker, you can't be serious. Tell your neighbor, I'm serious. See, sin is anything that disconnects you from the blessing and connects you with death. I'm going to say it again. Sin is anything that disconnects you from the blessing and connects you with death. See, many things people think are sin aren't really sin. Yeah, some people even believe that there's, it's a sin, amen, with all their heart. It's a sin to even wear deodorant. But we know it's a sin not to wear it. Come on, say amen, somebody. <laughs> Come on, say amen, somebody. Yet those same people will wallow around in fear for years without realizing it. Not realizing they're in direct disobedience to the word of God. And they must not have paid enough attention to Revelation 21.7. Revelation chapter 21 verse 7 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But look at verse 8. But the what? Oh, Lord. But the what? Come on, y'all can say it a little louder. I don't care if you're afraid of that bug this morning. But the what? 
fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But notice, this verse puts fear in very bad company. Fear is listed right alongside unbelief. Fear is listed right alongside a murder and whoremongering. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. That's why it's shocking to hear a preacher who ought to know better. Come on, say Come on, are you with me out there? They'll say, well, everyone has to be afraid of something. A little fear can be a good thing. Let me ask you a question. Is that right? Come on, do you really believe that a little fear is a good thing? Well, if we look at that scripture, if that's the case, is a little unbelief a good thing? Is a little murder or abomination or lying a good thing? How about a little whoring around? Do you think your wife would agree that's a good thing? <laughs> hey, mama, mama, ha. Understand this fear in any measure is totally unacceptable. Let me say that one more time to get this in you. Fear in any measure is totally unacceptable. Listen to this. Going to a horror movie is no different than you looking at pornography. Let me say that one more time. Going to a horror movie is no different than you looking at pornography. Tell your neighbor it's wrong. Come on, say it's wrong. Why? It will connect you to a spirit that you as a child of God have no business being connected to. I don't know. So it's not okay. Tell your neighbor, it's not okay. It's a sin because why? There's death in it. So go to your movie collection. <laughs> Come on. And when you get down, right down to it, fear, listen, fear is actually faith in death. I'm say it again. When, you, when it gets right down to it, fear is actually faith in death. For example, the fear of a dangerous animal is faith in that animal's ability to hurt or kill you. Say that again. The fear of a dangerous animal is faith in that animal's ability to hurt or kill you. Fear of disease is faith in the power of that disease to destroy your body. Let me say that again. Fear of disease is faith in the power of that disease to destroy your body. See, fear of death is faith in its power and authority. Come on, are you with me? Come on, we're dealing with fear here. And see, fear's objective is to create unbelief. Fear's objective is what? Is to create unbelief. Its goal is to get you to believe something other than what God has said about your situation. It's not there just to make you scared, folks. Are you following me out there? In fact, it is possible to be full of fear about something without having any of the jumpy, come on, you know what I'm talking about, spine-chilling sensations we normally associate with being afraid. But the question is, 
how do we recognize this fear when it comes on us? Go to 1 John 4.18. Come on, are you getting anything out of this? Come on. I'm telling you, for this blessing work in your life, you cannot be toying around with a little ounce of fear. And some of you need to face your fears. You need to go and, go and grab that little bug. <laughs> go feed the iguana. Come on, say amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? Casts out fear, because fear has what? Torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. If fear is there, so is torment. Worry is torment. Anxiety is torment. Torment is the element Satan uses to cause you to think that God is not going to come help you this time. And see, torment gets you to thinking, yeah, the word works, but it doesn't work for me. Or, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says, by his stripes I am healed, but... The doctor just called and said, my test results are bad. Or, sure, God said he'll meet all my need according to riches and glory. But what if he doesn't do it this time? Let me call sister so-and-so see if she got some money. Oh, come on. But I want you to notice every one of those statements contained a Three-letter word. What was the letter, three-letter word? What was it? I'm going to say it. You ain't cussing. <laughs> like they're afraid to say but. What's up? <laughs> but. When you say but, it indicates everything said before is incorrect or wiped out. See, in statements like these, but is the badge of unbelief. And unbelief is completely, totally, totally, totally fear dependent. To get rid of fear, folks, and the torment that goes along with it, you got to get the butt out of the way. Turn your neighbor, get the butt out the way. Come on, did you get what I just said? You got to get the what? The butt out of my soul. Now, I didn't listen. I didn't say you, you should cope with fear. I didn't even say you should manage fear. I said get rid of it. Let me say it again. I said what? I said what? Get rid of it. Every fear. I don't care what it is. Get rid of it. See, there's a big difference between coping with fear and having no fear. Because even unsaved people can cope with fear. For example, a rodeo cowboy, ever seen rodeo cowboys? They have a very dangerous profession. Come on, his job is to get on this big, mad, mean bull and ride this thing without getting hurt or killed. Now, obviously, to do something like that, he has to manage his fear. <laughs> Let me see you get on one. Come on, say amen, somebody. And he'll probably do it so well that if you watch him in, the, in, the, in that rodeo, you would think this man is absolutely fearless. Come on. Yet that same cowboy will get in his truck and drive to his next performance worrying the whole time about his marriage. He'll be scared silly that his wife is going to leave him. Come on, he managed fear in one area, but the fear is still there. Are oh, y'all with me out there? See, anyone can cope with fear if they have enough training, folks. 
airplane pilots do it all the time. Matter of fact, in flight school, they train in a simulator that sets up emergency conditions specifically designed to test their fear level. If they handle one emergency, the trainer will just keep throwing more at them. Come on, are you with me out here? Stacking one crisis on top of another until the pilot hits the failure level and crashes the plane. And that's what the simulator is for. It's exactly like the airplane, and it helps pilots develop their skills to the point where their training takes over and they're able to manage their fear in emergency situations. Come on, are you with me out there? And see, that's not what God wants for us, folks. When he tells us, the New Testament believers, not to fear, he's not telling us to manage our fear. What's he telling us? He's telling us to totally eradicate it and flush it completely out of our lives. Get rid of fear. I don't care what it is. Like I said, you think I was kidding when I said go pick up that bug? I didn't say go pet the iguana. But when the iguana come by you, I don't see one see you screaming and running. Because at that point, you may think it's cute. Say it again. You may think it's cute. But it ain't cute to the devil. Because he know there's fear present. And where fear is present, Faith is not. So you can toy with that little thing all you want. But you better deal with that fear. Tell your neighbor, you better deal with that fear. And we're going to talk about how to do that next week. <laughs> all heads bowed, all eyes closed in prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. All his bow eyes closed in prayer. Get rid of fear, folks. Get rid of the fear. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. All his bow eyes closed in prayer.